This podcast is brought to you by OnTrack Studio. Welcome back to Mind Your Head. This week, I'm chatting to Sophie Wilson. Sophie is a podcast producer, production studio owner, mentor, and business marketing coach. Her podcast, Big Brand Energy, is ranked number six marketing show in Australia. But just like a lot of us, Sophie's journey hasn't been easy. She shows a lot of bravery and courage to speak openly about some of her extremely traumatic and confronting experiences. And just a trigger warning, this episode contains personal stories of mental health, suicide, and sexual assault. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Elliot, thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate you coming on today. Had to go a really far distance to be here. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to start this podcast by doing something a little bit different, something that I haven't done before. Oh, God. So I've got something for you. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. Elliot, have some respect. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I just want you to... Tell me a little bit about the two people in this picture. That is hilarious. So we've got <laughs> a photo of me probably, I don't even know how old, very young, with my sister. <laughs> and we're dressed up as fairies. fairies. Fairy princesses, because as TR is involved. What have you done? <laughs> how did we're, you get this? I've got contacts. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I just want you to tell me a little bit about your childhood and maybe that Maybe that moment there, your your memories. Yeah, look, my childhood was just fun. Like, when I was really young, we were very outside kids. And um, I loved that because we just weren't those kids that were, like, you know, on computers and stuff. Um, And so the three of us, like, there's three kids in the family and we were just so close. This is me and my sister and we're, like, the best of friends still to this day. Mm. And we were just play games all the time and this is what's happened here (laughs) i think you've just walked in on yeah just a fairy princess game um rules undefined uh but yeah like honestly it was just the best really young it was just the best time like we just had the three of us we were just all the best of friends we just dance like Mm. just have fun yeah and that's what you've walked in on on this photo (laughs) i love that and what was your what was your earliest memories of of sort of your mum and dad and your relationship with them? Earliest memories, just good vibes. Like yeah. I remember going to kid, kindy and like being dropped off by dad and being picked up by mum and just like really kind of like everyone was involved in things that we were doing. Like everyone would, we'd always go to like my brother's soccer games. Like it just felt very wholesome, very comfortable. Yeah. Everyone was just happy. Yeah. 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 Nice. And what age were you when you found out your parents got a divorce? Uh, That's when it took a dark, dark turn. Dark turn. (laughs) Happiness turned down. Um, I was, I think I was, I was in grade five. So whatever age that is, we had just moved to the Sunshine Coast. Dad had just got his new job and yeah, they sat us around the table and mum was crying. I don't know who said it, but they were like, we're going to get a divorce. And it was, it was a shock for sure. Yeah. Shook us up. Yeah. And how do you think that affected you at that time? I know you're pretty young. Yeah. Were you old enough to process that? I don't, you know, no, Mm. I wasn't old enough to process it. I think I was okay. Immediately I was like, cool, like, you know, and which is interesting because like Mm. such a young age and I was just like, all right, solutions focus, like sweet, it's all good. I'm going to get a new room, probably get my own room finally. (laughs) It's funny you you had that thought pattern at that age. Yeah. Like I was very like kind of positively skewed and Mm. like I'd seen movies where like parents break up and it's, it's fine, you Mm. know, but then sort of like, it was very turbulent. The time, like the fighting was 
kind of arced up from there. It wasn't like fighting and then divorce. It was like divorce announcement, fighting. Wow, things aren't good. Like Instantly yeah. switched, yeah, changed. Yeah, yeah, so like it was really hard seeing like, you know, the two people you probably love the most, like really, it felt like hating each other. And yeah, then like, you know, when mum ultimately moved out, like, yeah, it was just hard, you know, splitting your life into two. Like anyone listening with divorced parents mm. knows the hustle of like the friggin' big bag that you're lugging from week to week or weekend to weekend. We did week to week and immediately there was like just tension, mm. just tension. It never sort of resolved. Yeah, And it changed the whole family dynamic, did it? Yeah. 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 So yeah. did you feel any pressure to pick a side? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. And honestly, like I actually, I've done a lot of work on myself in recent years and there's this one trait in myself that like I was I was getting really sick of it was being indecisive and as a you know entrepreneur like indecision is just time wasting and I just wanted to like be better than it and I went really like I went really deep on this thing it's like why do I struggle so much to decide things and I literally linked it back down to this time like when I was really young and it was because there was so much at stake from a choice. Yeah. It was like, I could choose to live with mum, but I'd be sacrificing the love of my dad. I could choose to live with dad, but I'd be sacrificing the love of my mum. And yeah, it just felt like no way, no choice I could make at that time would be good enough for both. So it definitely stuck with me for years, Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Did, it, did you feel emotionally supported by your friends and family? Or did you, is this something that you spoke about to your friends? Initially, yeah. Like yeah. I remember going, it was like the day I found out I was on an excursion the next day and I was like, beautiful, like I'm going to, and not consciously, I wasn't going to like make a scene, but I was just like, you know, sad girl, like, yeah, I'm going through a lot, you know, just really young and just like, I was like, just spoke to my friends about it and they were like, oh my God, that sucks. And like, I really lent into them mm. for sure. And then it was only sort of years to come later that like, I was kind of like, okay, that's the layer in which I'm going to talk about with my friends, all the other turbulent arguments and things that are going on at home. You know, it's not, it's not worth yeah. talking about, about it. it. Yeah. So, yeah. And how did your siblings, you and your siblings cope together? Was it, was everyone a bit different how they coped with that time with the divorce I actually think like in a lot of ways it brought us closer together because it really like we were all going through essentially the same thing um and yeah we just all had each other's back in throughout the whole thing and we were just yeah I think it brought us closer for sure um and yeah I'm honestly grateful for that yeah and how do you think your from your perspective how do you think your mum and dad cope with the divorce from my perspective horribly (laughs) um it definitely led to mum spiral I would say and um she just didn't deal with it very well because yeah there was just a lot of a lot of blame I would say like a lot of blame coming from both ends and it was just like yeah really hard and I and I know dad didn't particularly deal with it well emotionally but he did move on um quicker and he had support from like a new partner and I think that just changed it for him yeah yeah but I think they both struggled with it both struggled yeah Yeah. and did you notice your mum's mental health plummet after the divorce or was there maybe mental health issues before the divorce I didn't to my knowledge there was nothing kind of present Present. for mum prior to the divorce but like you know through conversations with her afterwards she had struggled with like um postpartum depression yeah so when we were really young 
So I know that there was a history of like mental, mental illness within that, um, for her, but yeah, I definitely, I think that that is, well, I know that that is where she sort of her mental health took, you know, took a toll for the worse, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And your parents divorcing is such a traumatic thing to navigate on its own. You've recently spoken on your podcast about your mum um, committing suicide. How did you think that affected you at the time? Such a good question. It affected me in, I would say, like so many different layers. Like initially it was like failure for me, you know? What was that? Well, I knew she was struggling, right? Mm. And did I know it was that bad? No, never like, well, sorry, I won't say never in million years would I think she would have done that but there were times where her she was really struggling and that crossed my mind for her uh but at the time that she did it it was like so you know this went on for like her um, mental health issues I guess went on for years so post-divorce post-divorce like if we were to use that as like a checkpoint it would be like she was good for like so long and then she would kind of just like you know struggle and like you could tell that she wasn't okay and then she would be good she would struggle and then like for years and years and years and then Mm. when because I was 18 when it had when it happened um at that time you know to my knowledge she was like really good like we were making good progress we were all a bit older there was less pressure on her to like be places do places for us like do things for us sorry and um she felt like it felt really good and everything felt really good and Mm. then I when I found out I was like are you kidding like I was shocked to my core I was so shocked. Um, so I think, yeah, it just felt like, you know, you take your eye off the ball a little bit and look what happens. And that's why I think I associated a lot of it with failure in myself because I was a little bit older, like 18 years old. You know, I was an adult. I could have done something for her to mm-hmm. save her for sure. And would you guys talk about some of her battles that she was going through? No, not too. Like she would, she was very guarded. Mm-hmm. Like she just like, was a very strong woman and she had the thing I also to answer your question from earlier like the thing that made it feel like a failure is because it wasn't like what I knew mental health to be like people struggling with mental illness to be like you know you're really kind of got this internal demon that you're facing what mum was going through was very real like it was very not to say that sorry but not to say that mental illness is not real but Mm. I mean like there was external factors in her life that Mm. were causing her to um feel stressed very situational isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely so you know there's like this element of like why didn't we help her who like why didn't I I knew she was struggling why didn't I talk to this adult that adult you know that's why it felt like a failure yeah and could you feel like you're a little bit older now could you feel like you could express your feelings and emotions to people would you just give them a little bit and not talk too deeply about it Mm. At the time, it was just almost like, so I was, I didn't understand what was going on. Mm. Like, so there was that, there's the fact that I actually don't understand what's going on, but because I had been like programmed from a very young age to like only share this much with people, that was just like habitual at this point. Like I would, I have always been like this super outgoing person and like, I find it really easy to connect with people and people feel safe in my presence to speak their mind, which I love because That makes, you know, I love depth and things like that. So when I would talk to people and DNM with them, it would often be about them. And my, like, I guess, 
you know, training in like dealing with this stuff behind the scenes meant that I had really high levels of emotional intelligence. So like people would say something to me and I could kind of like articulate how they're feeling for them because I had been through something, not the same thing, but the emotions had come up for me before. So typically when I would talk to people, you know, I would have really deep connections with people, but it would be about them. And this was not like intentional. It would just be how it would go. So only like a few years later did I realize, should I haven't actually spoken about anything I've been through Mm -hmm. on a really deep and held safe space level? Yeah. Yeah. And has that been your process to sort of understanding what your mum was going through? Have you done a little bit more research about, I guess, mental health and trying to like understand what she was battling with? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. You get kind of like when something like this happens, everything's a question like, you know, you want to, I, mm. I really felt, to be honest, and I don't know what other people's truth is in this matter, but I really felt like, you know, I'd read up on mental health, like depression, people, suicidal ideations, all these things, and no shoe fit. Like, that was not how mum behaved. That was not my truth, you know? So I was, I really found it, I found it hard to find something to support me in that sense, like even feel kind of seen and heard on like a really baseline level because nothing really worked out. And like, you know, mum struggled with alcohol. There's part of me that like can resonate with like what it's like to lose someone to suicide, which of course is exactly what I've gone through. So of course I'd be able to resonate, but there's a whole other section of like my story that has to do with like living with someone who's dealing with an addiction, you know? Mm. So like there's this like kind of like blend of, of my story that, you know, to like a lot of things kind of like, meshed in together I could I could resonate with and to be honest like after losing her you kind of get faced with I mean losing someone to suicide you're faced with everyone's two cents about what that means like someone knows someone who that happened to and this Mm -hmm. is their interpretation of why that happened some people are judging the fact like so many like full-blown adults would say things like I would never do that to my kids Mm. like that's what I'm facing with I'm like you don't understand mental health like, or mental illness, I should say, mm. if you're saying that, because it's not a selfish act. But then it's, is it my job to educate this, like, older woman about that? Mm. Probably can't be fucked, to can't be, be fucked, honest. yeah. Like, not I'm, worth your time. Yeah. Exactly. But, like, knowing, hearing these things, I'm like, well, I don't really feel safe to, like, s- s- talk about mum's mental illness issues because I don't really want to c- cop your judgment. And also, you don't know, because it's not even just that. Mm. Then there was, like you know, on the, on the alcoholism side, she wasn't a full blown like alcoholic that you see on TV. Like she just kind of had her dark days and she would lean on alcohol to self-medicate. And at the time I didn't know what that, I didn't even know what was really happening. It was just a mood like between us siblings, like we would just be like, oh, mum's in a mood and we would just steer clear and, or like walk on eggshells, do our best to deal with it. Right. But after she died, I was so protective of her reputation that I didn't even want to like that even for the first time in like ever, like mm-hmm. is me sharing that really, uh, like I really have to trust people that I share that component with because I want to protect, protect her legacy. Cause like, I'm scared that you're now thinking like, mm. this is not really playing out, but I would be scared of like, you're thinking about that, like toxic mum you saw on TV or someone, you know, that's like mm. an alcoholic of like, who would lash out and like be violent. I'm like, I don't want you to assume that that's what it was like. Cause it wasn't. Yeah. So it was really like for me after she died, it was kind of like, well, like I am not gonna, like I just went internal. I'm like nothing safe to talk about, and those mm. are the kind of things that were why 
Yeah, and something that I really took from, I did an episode with Brock who lost his dad to suicide mm. and he went to see a GP and he said the best piece of advice that he got was that the GP told him just to know that it wasn't him, mm. it is an illness and and not to think poorly of him for his decision and mm. just think that it is an illness and it wasn't him that it was acting out. And I think it sort of really resonated with Brock just to realise that he didn't feel abandoned or... His mm. dad left him. It was an illness. Yeah, totally. And that moment just wasn't him. And just still have those good memories of his dad. Totally. Um, and that's, yeah. that's definitely helped me a lot. And I know that to be true. Like mm. I actually now have the understanding that that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on a little bit earlier the the, the processing your emotions and, and coping with them. And did you allow yourself to eventually grieve? Look, this is an interesting story. <laughs> Eventually, okay, so what my what happened straight after mum died was survival mode kicking in, right? Mm. Like I it was so so hard. Like it was so emotionally like heavy that I actually and this is with hindsight using this as like the diagnosis I see. I didn't actively do this, but I switched into numbness. Like it was easier to be numb than to be in that much pain. What I later found out is like, it was after I'd been broken up with when I was 22 and I was like distraught. I was like so upset. And I I was really confused because I'm like this guy, like, yeah, he was great. And I really liked him and now it's over. But considering what I've been through, like, it's fine. I'm going to find love. Like I'm 22 years old. Everything's okay. However, emotionally, I was like a wreck wreck, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand it. And it was at this stage in my life where, I went and really went deep into like self-development and all these things. I've always been into self-development, but I was like, wow, this is like tangible. I'm dealing with something. And I couldn't, I didn't know why it was so hard for me to get through this. I was just not myself at all. So I went to see, I don't know what to call her. I'm going to call her a healer. She was, she's basically a counselor, but she works with the body. And so she really educated me on like the body is what stores trauma and when you have an emotional reaction to something, it's always about a past event. And unless it's like something that's happening right now and you're processing in the moment, which is very rare for this day and age, like pretty much no one does that because it's not a safe space to do that. So when I went and saw her, I'm like, I'm dealing with this, like I'm so heartbroken over this guy. What's going on? And she was able to pinpoint like exactly the emotion I was feeling, which was the fact that I had been abandoned and that I had no choice. And she took it back to you this is what you felt when you were 18 she said to me did anything significant happen to your life when you were 18 and I'm like yeah Mm. I lost my mom and it was I had no choice and I felt abandoned right so at that time it was just like I had the awareness then to be like whoa what I'm experiencing isn't just about this breakup it's actually all the suppressed emotions that I didn't process at that time the problem with this scenario is anyone who's done this kind of thing knows that like once you open that door of like feeling, it's like a tap you can't turn off. The can of worms start coming out. Legit. So like the next year of my life was just so difficult because I was processing so many things that I hadn't actually looked at. And it's from like childhood, like, you know, divorce days, parents, uh, obviously not me, Um, (laughs) that kind of like stuff that I hadn't processed because whatever, then Mm. this and then all the other things that happened in in between. And so basically initially it felt like I grieved and then I was like, you know, onwards and upwards, let's go. 
like mm. live your life. However, I didn't realize that I had turned the switch off. Yeah. It wasn't until this breakup happened that I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I kind of fully allowed myself to grieve, be like, this is what I'm actually processing. Mm. And however, like in the early stages, like when I was 18, you know, a lot of people, when something traumatic happens, like they go through a party phase, they like lean on drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, all the things like we've seen all the movies Mm. where that happens. And for me, like my, what I didn't realize at the time, but like my addiction was putting myself in a position to be indispensable to other people. I was addicted to being needed because it was how I would self-soothe. I'm like, as Um, long as I'm needed, then that means that like they won't leave because I'm, I'm there, you know, they need me for something. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So I, with hindsight can see that like after losing mom, I was like, I need to be everything to everyone, which of course is impossible, (laughs) but I really channeled a lot of my energy, um, like kind of doing living my life, but I took a whole lot of like, a whole lot of things on from everyone else in Mm. my family, in my friends. Like I was just, because I just was trying to distract myself from my own emotions. That's how I would do that. Mm. Being everything to everyone, but nothing to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I use the drug alcohol analogy because it's like, you know, it's the same thing. It's like you go out and party because you don't want to deal with your emotions. Like, it's distraction, all the same thing. I'm no better than that person. Mm. Like, I did my own version of that, you know? And did you feel like you had to be the strong one in the family, even though you've got an older sibling, but having a a younger sibling too, did you feel like... 100%. Yeah. I feel like my truth was, like, it was all up to me. Like, especially because the relationship with our dad was very, like, kind of like walking on eggshells because they had such a bad divorce and, like, he was dealing with his own shit with mum going and I, I really had to be there for my siblings. And I, yeah, it was kind of like, especially for my sister, like she was just 15 when mum died and she just, oh God, I used to have night, I used to wake up in the middle of the night, like having nightmares about like, I would just be running and just trying to save my sister. Like Mm. these are the nightmares like I would have. I'm like, oh my God, I need to save her. And like, it was obviously like a a symbol to what I felt in real life. Yeah. And bring that protector mode. And I spoke to Emily Oh God, really? And she told me a she told me a story where your dad was thinking about changing schools. Oh uh, yeah. And you called her school. Oh yeah. And, got, and got them to waive the school fees. I'm a bit of a hero. <laughs> yeah, for some, year and twelve in some areas. Is that true? That is true. Yeah, yeah I kind of forgot about that. Like, yeah. how funny? Well, yeah, because a big um, thing between my parents, like, what led to a lot of the fighting was school fees, like. Mm. My dad didn't want us to be going to a private school. Mum did. And then when mum passed away, she was no longer able to obviously pay for the school fees. So my dad wanted to take her out of the school. And I was like, hell no. She's just been through hell. Mm. She literally needs the support of her friends. And I just felt like I need to do something about this. So did you call up as her <laughs> sister or did you? Yeah. You I, went on. I wrote an email. I wrote an email. I eased in, you know. I was just like, dear Mr. Principal. (laughs) I was like, I just sort of said the thing. I was just like, look, this is my situation. I have a hunch you've got access to some sort of scholarship for people. Mm. Um, I think that Emily's worthy of it. Like I just basically listed out why, you know, this is 
this is what she's doing. She wasn't like a straight A student, but like, I was just like, she's contributing to society. <laughs> you know, I just kind of like, you know, I'm a marketing girl at the end of the day. I made she's it- <laughs> contributing to society. <laughs> I would love to actually get the email and see what I said, but I spun some yarns yeah. and I was like, look, this is, this is the scenario. Yeah. I just asked them if they would waive the school fees for the rest of and our they high said, school. Yeah. All good. And they did. Yeah. Did, did Emily know that at the time or did you? I just did it. You and did then it. I wasn't going to tell her before yeah. I got the, you know, I didn't think it would work Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Like I was kind of like, I'm just going to try this because her moving schools is not an option to me. Otherwise uh, it was that or I pay for her schooling with my inheritance. That's what it was up to for me. Mm. Like that's where I was at. So she was going to stay there anyway. How I was going to make it happen. I didn't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's probably one example of <laughs> that kind of it's like. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, and I listened to your to your podcast, and you mentioned something that I really want to know. Mm. We'll get at the bottom of is your addiction to control how you how you are perceived and not wanting to be misunderstood. Yeah, where does where does that stem from? I think it stems from very early on in terms of like you know to to go back to like when my parents were divor- like got divorced. I was like I didn't want anything to ever define me. Like I mm. was like you know immediately you're the one with the like kids like with your parents divorce and I was like oh I don't want this to define me lo and behold you get you grow up and pretty much that's the norm so Mm, mm. um but I would say yeah I think I can see early onsets of that from when I was really young but where it really came true for me was when I I think somewhere along the line I learned that being vulnerable was weak and or okay for other people but not for me and God knows why. Mm. Like, I don't really know. But now with hindsight, I can look back and be like, what was I, like, what was I fearing? Like, what, name the fear. Why did I not want to be vulnerable? And it was like, well, I just didn't want to be seen as X, Y, Z. Like every particular scenario, even like I relate it to dating, like, and I'm still working on this, but like, I have this like cool girl complex. I I call it, we we laugh about it in my friendship group, but it's just like, I just want to be perceived as the most carefree, cool girl mm. ever. Mm. Like, I if like you know he's offended me, I'm like it's all good. <laughs> I'm cool. Like whatever. Are you still like that now? No, I'm not. Yeah. I, I understand that that's just not worth it. But yeah. at the time, like you know, through my whole life, I can just see this like image that mm. I've been trying to project protect over all these like different scenarios, and I'm like, what is that? And I just think for me, it's the through line is I just wanted to be in control of how I'm perceived, and it's about like deep down probably just wanting to be loved and accepted for for quote unquote who I am but like meanwhile cock blocking that from ever happening because I'm not fully showing my full self yeah because I'm just protective and I think I don't know it's a fear of like being left rejected all those like deep things I don't know where it stems from but I do know that like it was very apparent like after mum died and throughout other like traumatic experiences that I've been through I'm like oh I don't want you to like, I don't want you to assume anything about me because mm. you're probably wrong and they probably mm. are. Mm. And it, but it's very hard to control people's perception of you. Yeah, God, Impossible, you got to let that go. Yeah. Isn't it? Because you're going to get nowhere with it. 100%. Um, and I think losing a parent is probably one of the hardest things. It's not the hardest thing for someone to go through. And I'm sure it's still taking you time to get over that. Um, and you spoke on your, your podcast about another traumatic event that happened and that being sexually assaulted. How did you process that at the time? I didn't. You didn't? I just straight up didn't didn't process it. (laughs) 
oh, that was the darkest of darkest of darkest of times. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I didn't want anyone to know it. I didn't even call it what it was for a long time. Like, I just, it happened. I was like, mm, too hard basket. But lo and behold, like, the body didn't allow, like, me to sweep it under the rug. Mm. Like, I was very emotional. Like, I could, like, I remember being at home and, like, after it had happened, and I, I just couldn't look at myself in the eye without crying. Like, I just couldn't look at myself in the eye. Like, I went weeks without looking at myself. And um, that point was, like, that was where I questioned everything in life because that happened after mum died. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I believe you've got to go through some trauma to have some character building. But at that point I was like, you know what? Too much. This character yeah. be built. Like <laughs> I don't need more trauma. Mm. And I was just like, mm. I laugh about it now, but well, I don't laugh about that now, but like, I'm just like, it's funny because at the time it was just really hard for me to wrap my head around in the big picture. That, like, why is this happening to me? Like, that's literally where I was at. Could you tell anyone? Mm. tough one so what happened was like after it had happened so it was a very like you know the scenario that where where it happened was like my best friend's place right there were four of us there everyone out I stayed home this guy came back he was like my friend's boyfriend's housemate anyway he came back while I was asleep I woke up to like this guy absolutely violating my space to put it nicely yeah yeah and I was just you know kind of yeah I'm not going to go into detail about that but after I was like just again switch I was familiar with this numbness like I actually felt the switch this time I was like you know I've just kind of like trying to deal with past emotions and um and I just felt the switch to go numb and I'm like I can't the same switch you felt when your mum passed yeah, yeah yeah and I didn't really know like what to do then, you know, the next morning I, my friend was like, how, like, how was your sleep? You know, whatever. And then her boyfriend was there and was just like, did, um, so-and-so come back here last night? And I was like, yeah, he, he actually did. And, and at the time, the first thing I said, they were both in the room. I was like looking down, I'm like completely disconnected emotionally. Like I wasn't visually crying or anything, but I was like, yeah, he did. I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. He took advantage of me. That's my terminology that I use. So I immediately said that. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, are you okay? I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's fine. I'm just letting you know. And then I went home. And that was the extent of that conversation. Yeah. And so uh, then I got home and I was like, I just, it was like, I think it was a few hours later. I was at the beach with my other friends and I just started crying. I just mm-hmm. couldn't stop crying. They're like, what happened? What are, you, are you okay? And I was like, I just think he took advantage of me last night. Like that's the terminology I was using. Mm. And they, they asked me what happened and they, their faces just dropped. They just started, they all started crying. So there was two of, two of them, my sister and my um, other really good friend. And they just started crying like, Oh my God. And they just couldn't deal with it. Right. Mm. <laughs> Which is so fair. Um, but yeah, I guess that's when I was like, wow, this is actually, a, this is a real thing that has happened to me now. And they were like, you need to go to the police. You need to go to the police. And I was like, and it's funny because prior to this happening to me, I was like the biggest advocate for like, mm. you know, that kind of thing. I would just be the first one to be like, you go to the police. Like if that was my sister, I'd be at the police station. Like mm. she would be, I'd be carrying her there. Like, I don't care. Like I'm going after this guy or whatever. But what was interesting is when it happened to me, I was like, I can't, I actually cannot do that. 
and I just couldn't understand why I felt weak and I felt like every like <laughs> every part of like who I think I would be in that situation I was not mm. and did that surprise you it shook me it shook you yeah it's it was like why why can't I do this mm. anyway what I did end up going to the police the only thing that got me there was me thinking if this was my sister I would need her to do like it is like I was like what would I be telling my sister to do right mm. so yeah that's what got me there I told the police and um yeah they weren't able to do a single thing about it was this a couple of days after yeah it was the um I think it actually was the day after it was just a long day and nothing could be done no he's just like look you know I'm ha- I'm happy to take a written written statement off you which will work in your favour if he was to ever do this again. We've got something on the record. And he's like, and we can press charges. However, it's pretty like hard for a victim of something like this to prove, essentially. And I was like, cool. That's really cool. Like, and I just, you know, I think about it now. I'm like, you know, let's, let's name some crimes. We've got murdering. Mm. We've got child molestering. We've got rape. Yeah. Big three. Like... I'm telling you about a crime that happened and you're telling me, yeah. Look, nothing can be done. Yeah. How so, helpless did you feel? Just- I just felt like I just felt like a shell of a human. I just couldn't even. I was like, why did I push through the pain to do this? Like the reason was to mm. protect the next person. Like that's kind of the reason. And then I'm like, well, it didn't do that. Because mm. it takes so much courage to go forward. Yeah. And then you just get a slap in the face. Essentially. And go, well, fuck, why would I, why would anyone come come forward if nothing can be done? And what was really hard as well is like I was reporting, like the guy I was talking to, the constable or whatever, he was a man, obviously. And I just felt nothing from him, you know, like I, what I felt. Empathy wise. Yeah. yeah, It was him being like, you know, him saying, how are you going to prove it? It's him being like, did it really happen? Mm. Like, did that really happen? That's what I heard. Like, well, yeah. He's like, what's it, what was the address? What was his name? Gave them. Okay. Like, you know, trying to like, okay, if that happened, then what's these details? Can you confirm? Yeah. Instead yeah, of taking it as an honest um, account, it's mm. almost like he's trying to figure out if you're bullshitting. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. So that was like the first, yeah, initiation. Of it. And then mm. after that, I was like, I just need to get through this. And mm. like, I would just, and that's what I prioritized my own. Healing, I guess. Healing, yeah. Yeah. And, and another bit on your podcast that I'd like to talk about is you, you spoke about victim blaming. Yes. Can you tell me what, what is it? So victim blaming is, well, it's what it says. Like basically it's when you blame the victim of, well, anything, but let's use it for sexual assault. Mm. It's essentially like, and this is something that like is so prevalent in our society and I don't care what anyone says because it truly is. Like I thought that like our society had evolved enough where we wouldn't blame the victim. Right. But then when this happened to me, I was like, Whoa, mm-hmm. I'm really like kind of a little bit more aware of like the um, conversations that are happening behind, you know, closed doors and like with people. And it's like, wow, that is, you were like subtly, like, bl- like actually blaming the victim for that happening to them. Um, I'll tell you a story. I remember when I was young, this is before any of these horrible things happened. Um, I was seeing this guy and we were, we used to be on the phone for so long. We would just chat, laugh, make jokes, all the things. And we were on the phone one time and he was telling me, he's like, Oh my God, the funniest thing happened one time. I was out with my best friend and we took these two chicks home and you know, things were getting heated. Like, you know, 
It was great. And then all of a sudden we were in the same room and my mate and I, we decided to swap. And I was like, right. And I said to him, I'm like, right. So the girl you were sleeping with, like consented to have sex with you. And then you like without like this other guy entered her body without her consent. And I kind of like, you know, we would always be so like flirty and funny. And like, I was serious for a moment because I'm like, hang on a second. Like that would not, if that happened to me, I would be very upset. Like, mm. cause I did not want that in my space, you know? And he was like, well, yeah, but it's like, it's fine. And I'm like, respectfully, like, it's not fine. Like you did the wrong thing. That's horrible. And like, and he, and the way he reacted to me saying that was completely like, okay, psycho, like that mm. kind of energy. And like, while that's not, you know, blatantly vain, blaming a victim, for example, it's just sort of being like you, those conversations, I think, contribute to how I will, if you think that's fine, then me telling someone that like I was raped, it just, it feels like, you know, you don't even see like a problem with that. Yeah. What are you going to think about this? And like mm. all these things, like I think those little things in society really add up to an understanding of like, oh, okay, like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable, mm. um, it's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that would be, that's an example of like, I think rape culture mm. being so normalized because it's like, and by the way, this guy and I are still friends. I don't like he, we, I have so much compassion for him and everyone who's caught up in this programming. Cause like, he didn't mean to do that. He was just having fun with his mate and maybe the chick was fine with it and whatever. But it's the problem is, is that we don't like, I feel like as a society, we're not really educated on like what's, you 100%. know, what's right and what's, you know, potentially not right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I've got a story. Yeah. That's on the other foot where I went out one night mm. and I've, I woke up, I was asleep and I woke up to a girl having sex with me. Wow. And when you're young and a guy, you think, oh, how good's that? Mm. And it didn't, I don't think it affected me negatively moving forward with life. But as I've gotten older and more educated around and hearing girls' stories, and I thought back at that moment, I go, hang on a second, like, I was asleep. Mm. And although I didn't feel threatened or I didn't feel like they were being aggressive, the more I think about it, I'm like, fuck, if that was a guy doing it to a girl, that's right. But as soon as a girl does it to a guy, why do I don't think that's the same? Why do I think it's a little bit more lenient? Why do I think, oh, you can sort of get away with it or it's not as bad? Exactly. And my my understanding of this is because of – you know, sexual culture in this day and age, it's like you, it's not safe for you to be like, oh, that was a bit of a violation. Cause you might be like, oh, that's fucking so good, bro. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's that kind of chat that's damaging, I think, to, to people that actually, you know, go through these things. Cause that, you know, that is horrible. Mm. Moving forward, how did you get past the victim blaming? And do you see yourself as a victim or more so a survivor? I don't associate with any label. Any, any label. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> <laughs> don't perceive me in a certain no, way. <laughs> I've never felt like I've I've never felt like a victim in. Oh, sorry, I've felt like a victim initially. I was like, I have just like been something's been taken from me. Like it felt like something's been taken from me. Mm. I now have no control over how I'm perceived if I was to share this or if people were to find this out. So I, I felt like a victim in that moment because I just felt like you know hands up in the air, like I I'm at a loss. 
I don't really associate, I guess I am a survivor if I was to um, think about it because I did survive it. But yeah, to be honest, I don't really associate with it with it at mm. all. Like I, I think it's happened. I truly believe everything in life happens for you, not to you. And that's obviously huge to say, yeah. given like the fact both those things that have happened to me. Like, and but what it gave me was an opportunity to process emotions that I hadn't processed. Like the underlying theme of both. Like if we were just talk about the two things we've brought up today, the underlying familiar feeling I felt after that happened to me was deep shame, like deep shame about who I am. The same feeling was what came up, what I was avoiding when mum died. I felt shame because I'm like shame about, you know, the her um, choosing suicide, like to go shame about like what that meant for me, like all the guilt that I didn't do enough, like I'm not good enough because I lost her. Then this happened and there was a real, like real shame that I felt. After like, you know, the initial kind of, you know, I'm okay to actually, you know, not, I can look myself in the mirror, right? When the initial like, you know, feelings subsided a little bit, I was Mm. like, what is what is underneath all of this? Like, what am I feeling? And I just gave myself permission to feel those things. I did all the work I could on myself of like, why I've got nothing to be ashamed of. You know, like I have nothing to be ashamed of. And I can say that now, but that was not my truth for years. I felt like these were secrets that I could not tell Mm. um, to anyone. And And I think, again, like to bring it back to that image thing, I think that's why I now have the language to call, like I was very protective of my image because I'm like, well, what was I scared of? It's like, if they would have known that, then like, oh, they'd know how, like this thing. But Mm. now that I've actually felt the process, the emotions, I no longer have that shame. It's very liberating. Very liberating. Yeah. Yeah. In what ways has it affected you now in terms of intimacy, finding love, um, having trust? Mm. I think is it still a, a journey, a battle with you at the moment? It's probably still a journey. I wouldn't say it's a battle. Initially, like you know, I guess as a anyone, anyone young looking for love, whatever. It's it's kind of like unfortunately when things like that happen to you, you want one thing, you're craving like say to be seen and loved and like and everything, but your actual actions are completely contradictory to that. So like I'm like I'd say to my friends, yeah, I'm ready to find a partner. I'd go to said potential partner and there's like 18 layers of steel between me and him. And I'm like, why doesn't he get me? I'm like, I have not given him access, you know? And like, this is all not intentional, not conscious, but like there was, I've, I had, I have had a lot of walls up Mm. and especially when I was ashamed of even saying like, this was like, I saw um, someone like had a really, you know, I guess the closest thing to love, I guess maybe I did love him. I don't know, (laughs) but like a serious kind of relationship after this. Right. And I protected this like a secret. I'm like, he can never know because I felt like if he was to find out, he would think I'm like damaged goods or disgusting. Like that's what my truth was. Mm. So there was that, which obviously, meant that I didn't open myself up. I wasn't fully like open. And, you know, the result of that is like obviously lacking, like lacking connection, 
and just walls up mm. basically because vulnerability is important for connection in a relationship and i think that builds it and i felt the same telling say my girlfriend now jordan mm. about some of my dark days mm. i refused to do it because mm. i felt the same thing too i felt like i would either get judged or look at like a like a lost dog or like he's like damaged like he's he might do this again later in life or he's got issues and, and i always thought that yeah and then the first time i told her it was met with unconditional love yeah and then i was just like oh maybe this isn't as bad as i think it is in my head totally and totally. it sort of changed everything from there yeah totally and like you know for me i was able to let people in to an extent you know like I was open with what was going on with mum to a degree I didn't say all the things but like so people it was like their perception was that I was very vulnerable but little did they know that like I'm hiding most of it and I'm sharing what I'm comfortable with what I feel like I control your perception of me you know Mm -hmm. and that was yeah really um really hard I feel like now way better Mm. Um, still, still, still walls, still walls. Yeah. <laughs> still walls. But I have a yeah. fundamental belief, and like you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, you've got probably something you've been through or whatever, like your version of your own story, basically. And I honestly feel like as much as vulnerability is necessary when you're in a romantic relationship or in a friendship, vulnerability can't be forced, and like it requires a level of safety for you to feel like yes, I'm ready to share this. It's still scary, Mm. but it doesn't feel unsafe. There's been times where I've like dated guys and like I have shared something, not even the worst of it, but shared something and actually walked away, had a vulnerability hangover. Like I feel like shit, that was not worth it, you know? And I think from that experience, I know that like I trust myself now that I will share what I want to share and it will be with the right person and I will be able to navigate that space. I'm not going to put pressure on myself to be like, hey, like, just going to put these walls down so you get full access to me like you know mm. within 2 months like no like it's meant mm. to be you build that you, you build, build that over time you yeah, do and i and i've now like cuz i used to shame myself as well for not being too open enough mm. but i've now been like no i'm i actually am open and yeah that i guess like there's still walls but i trust that they will come down at the right time for the right person yeah. and i feel like you value trust for that person you're not just going to yeah. throw those walls down for anyone totally and yeah. like to to be honest a huge I think we were all a bit like that too. I don't I think, think it's just yeah you. <laughs> oh, it's not a me thing. No, no, no. I'm special. I don't know if you've heard. No, yeah. I totally agree, and yeah. I know that through like com- com- this is the thing. Like I've got my own like assessment of my own life, and it's what allows me to connect so deeply with other people. It's not because I'm sharing; it's because I actually know what it's like to not f- feel ready to share something. So when people come to me, they're like, oh, I'm seeing this guy or girl and like, I'm just not ready. I'm like, yeah, you don't need to be ready. Like I'm, a, I'm able to like help them through those things, which allows me to bond so deeply with the people mm. in my life. Yeah. Cause I do have the emotional intelligence that they're actually requiring in that moment. Yeah. But, um, what I wanted to say was like this year or maybe last year, as I've been healing more, like sp- specifically about the sexual assault, I have been like testing myself I guess by sharing it like the what happened with people in my life that I trust because I've got a lot of really close guy friends in my life and I'll be honest like when I like there was a theme I, I told like you know two of them separate situations and I like would get on the phone to my sister I'm like I, I, I opened up to xyz and like 
she's like, how was it? I'm like, you know, it was really good, but I'm not going to lie. Not good. Like it wasn't worth it because what happened was there the immediately like guys, when you tell them something like that, not all of them, not you, for example, but often their mind goes to a blurred line situation in their life. Right. They're like, because they're like protecting their ego. And I understand that. They're like, I would never do that. That's what they're thinking. Mm. And by the way, me as the person opening up to my friend, I never thought you would. And this is by no means me saying that I would insinuate that. But mm. I think in their head, they're like, they need to get that out. They're like, I would never do that. Because yeah. they've got protective things coming through. And for them, I know it's really hard for them to be, to be like, I. they've all said to me like, I'm so fucking angry. I want to bash this guy. You know, they're like protective mode coming in masculine. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I hate that happened. But because yeah. they're powerless in that moment, all they can do is like tell me about how they'd never do it. Anyway, through that, they say, they'll be like, oh, well, this one time when I went home with this chicken, blah, 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 and this happened. And they'll tell me this story. And then I would, sit, I would I'm there reassuring them that they did the right thing when actually I'm trying to create, like, I'm actually trying to open up to you. I need you to hold me right now. Yeah, yeah. And it would always switch. switch like, yeah. I'd say, this is what happened. And then they would say, this is what happened to me. And then I'd spend, you know, half an hour debriefing that. Mm. And um, is that a common theme in your life? I think so. Like, I think so. Yeah. People, yeah. people open up to you and not allowing it's, you to open up to them. It's interesting because I feel like, yeah, there's parts of me that just need to like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. There's yeah. But that has been a theme. Now I've got so many beautiful people in my life and I can just say, Hey, I need, can you hold some space? Like, I just mm. need to talk about this thing. And like that, I'm so blessed to have that because it's amazing. But there, yeah, I guess there was a few like, and I still sometimes have it where I'm like, I needed to be a bit more clear when I when I brought this to them. Yeah. Because, yeah. But, yeah, the reason I bring that up is because if I'm bringing this to, like, friends, guys I trust and love with all my heart, and they're saying this, what – before I'd done, like, the next layer of healing that I have done now, mm. I'm thinking – are you thinking that this was a blurred line situation? <laughs> Are you actually putting this in the same category as that? Because that's a problem to me. Yeah. And that's victim blaming, right? Yeah. It's just like, it might be, oh, you know, this chick was so drunk, she was all over me, but I didn't get with her. And I'm like, are you saying that I was so drunk, drunk. and I was all over him? Is that what you, and it's not what they were thinking, mm. but because I just was so fragile, I'm like, far out that's what he might think that mm. i'm doing and that would and that to me i was like i remember being like i'm never opening i'm never telling my partner future partner yeah you'll just be going <laughs> be going straight back down yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but now i know yeah. that i trust that you yeah know. And, and moving forward do you think it's like you spoke about it before about just educating yeah men yeah in particular yeah and women the, though yeah and women yeah because honestly like women can be worse can be a lot worse like particularly like people that you know, I have, yeah, had conversations with and it's never been about me. So they don't know who they're offending, right? But they they just be like, oh, you know, she's so, she was very drunk, very drunk. Like, what do you like expect? Like that's an excuse to- You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And also the people that say like, you know, you hear about something happening, like a close friend of mine once had this happen to them and I needed to, like she told me and I was there for her and that, that but I actually went to go and process it with a trusted family member of mine be like oh my god this happened to my friend I feel so sick like you know I'm just processing it what she said to me was 
she was like, and this is a woman, right? She's like, yeah, but you know, that's why you never get that drunk. She said that to me. And I'm like, (laughs) and the worst part is, is like, I felt uncomfortable as soon as she said that to me about my friend. But immediately I'm like, well, yeah, I self-soothe. I'm like, well, yeah, I would never get that drunk. I'd never put myself in that situation. That's what I thought in my head. But outwardly was like, don't say that, whatever. But that thought came back to bite me when it came later. Like, because your judgments, even if you're not speaking them on other people, are just true judgments on yourself. I had a chat to my friends about this. It's like, they always look at like the girl... Not so much deserved it, but it's just like, like you said, well, what do you think was going to happen? Exactly. I'm like, well, she can't get drunk and have fun and maybe have a few drinks without the possibility of getting raped. Yeah. And, and the thing, and that is, that's it. And it, and um, you know, it's women and it's men who have that underlying narrative, mm. but we don't say it like that. Like mm. it's so subtle. So you can't call out behavior when they, mm. because they're not actually being obvious, but it's just underlying understanding that we all have in society where we're just secretly like, yeah, like. But mm. wouldn't get that drunk. I yeah, wouldn't yeah. put myself I'll, at risk. Yeah, and then it happens to you, and you're like, "Shit, I didn't deserve that, did I?" Mm. But I actually thought I did because of all of those conversations. Those I narratives, did a part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's your, what's your biggest advice for someone who's going through something like this, or or has been through something similar? My biggest advice is to just like just know that it's not your fault. Like, it is not your fault. You didn't deserve it at all like that's the truth and my biggest advice is to open up to someone who you feel safe with like your intuition will guide you there like if you're sitting in front of someone and you feel the urge to tell them then that's actually a signal that you feel safe but also set it up for success like just Mm. honestly communicate be like hey I'm going to tell you something really deep about myself that I haven't opened up with anyone about before I don't want you to try and solve my problem particularly if you're talking to a man because their innate instinct is to solve your problem and it's beautiful and masculine and so helpful so often but women often want to just share and speak and express so yeah I can relate yeah Jordan's Jordan's a lot just telling me to yeah I know the solution can you just listen yes and I'm learning just to listen totally and it's up and I think that it's for women, we need to educate ourselves on that. It's actually like a, sh- it's a show showing you're showing love by solving problems. We're mm. getting frustrated, but really, it's actually beautiful that you're doing that. Mm. And so, we need to say, "Hey, I know you're probably going to feel inclined to solve this problem, but I don't. I don't mm. want that right now. I want you to just listen, hold me, and you know, whatever, whatever you require." Mm. So, I think that's my advice. Like to be very tangible is like open up to someone you trust, set them up for success to hold you in this. And even, yeah, and just say it and you will feel so much lighter after it. Like every time, even at those moments that I shared with about my friends, even then I still felt better. Like a problem shared is a problem halved and I believe that. Yeah. How has this led to you becoming a business owner? Has some of these experiences driven you towards this goal? Look, it's interesting because like, so much of this is, well, actually, no, I started on track after all of this. So I guess it would, would play a role. What I know to be true is like this, whatever the manifestation of my career is, right. It's never been about the thing. Like I've been in marketing. I've started like, you know, the podcast studio, I've got like coaching clients, all the things take it all away. What I want is to help people have a positive impact on the world. 
And that definitely comes from, you know, my history. The underlying why behind why I do everything is because, you know, to like when I was in marketing, I would be, you know, doing social media content, trying to like get likes, clicks for brands and everything, right? It really bothered me the amount of money we were putting into surface level Mm. shit. I'm like, I want to change lives. I want, you know, we've got the budget. Let's actually like make positive change in the world. And so that is what led me to starting on track. And that is what drives me. And that's why I attract clients like you who actually have, you know, a larger picture. Why? Like, you you know, people listening to this, not me specifically, but your podcast are like, you, you were changing lives with it. And um, that has definitely come from, you know, my, my upbringing and what I've been through because I'm like, you know, you only live once. Let's actually make it good. Mm. And I, and I believe that while in some circles, like podcasting isn't that big a deal for me, when I was going through all this stuff, podcast saved me. Mm. It was the only thing, like I wasn't talking to anyone uh, really deeply. I was just like listening and I felt seen and heard for the first time on podcasts. And now it's just kind of full circle, mm. you know? Because those are kind of questions I'll ask you. Has this been sort of, I don't know if you thought about it like this, but has this been sort of uh, your healing process? Yeah. In yeah. business, I believe like it's such a, it's such a beautiful path if you let it be like be an invitation to work on what's not processed or what's coming up for you. Because when you own a business, like you are presented with so many like problems and everything. And you just like, you, you can let it kind of like, destroy you or you can be like okay how can I be better how can I process what's not processed in order to be better for my business it kind of like it's greater cause energy like would I have done as much healing if it was just me who I had to heal for Mm. maybe not Mm. you know like but it's really important that I'm at my best for my employees for my clients for my family like I really believe there's something in that yeah and what I've thought about the last couple of days is the is the traumatic experience that you've gone through. I think it's built such a strong person and a strong business owner. I think why you're so successful is because of the hard things that you went through Mm. and the traits that you developed because of it. Totally. And the ability to connect with so many people. And like I, I remember coming here six months ago and I had an idea and I didn't know what the idea really was, but you saw it and you championed my idea straight from the get-go. And I don't think – I think it's pretty safe to say that I don't think there would be a Mind Your Head podcast if it wasn't for you. Oh. And same to you, Kristen. Yeah. The Behind the camera. Though. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, I don't – yeah, you guys are a pleasure to work with and to bounce ideas off and – of, I think I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, actually on Friday, when one of my triggers was was people laughing at my ideas, mm. having an idea. And people have, I have had ideas and I've shared them and people have laughed at me about it. And I shouldn't care too much what people think. But deep down, I'm like, oh, fuck, it is, it must be a stupid idea. Mm. And I was really like, it took a lot of, a lot of me to come in here. And come to you and have a meeting with you and be like, this is what I've got. And I was kind of like, fuck. Good luck. What's she going to say? And you loved it. Yeah. You know, and I think you saw more of it than I did originally. I think so too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember you coming and saying your thoughts, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, I knew that you didn't understand what you mm. what you had stumbled across, and like, uh, you have what it, you have what it, you had what it takes, and you have what it takes to make some massive, massive change in the mm. world. Thank you. You're welcome. I would never laugh at your idea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember a moment when you realised when you were here that you absolutely love your job? Is there a, is there a moment where you just sat here and go, oh fuck, I love this. All the time. All the time. All the time. I love this so much. I have, and there's something to it not being easy to make it like extra good. Like, and you know, to speak to the business for a second, like there was a time, I think it was last year actually. So pretty recently where I was, I was like renovating on track, (laughs) you know, I had a lot on the go. Like I was pretty burnt out, but I was like somehow making it through. And there was a time where I'm like, okay, I've got like 20K worth of like invoices I need to pay to tradies slash what I owed to XYZ, no confirmed income, like clients had like, you know, dried up. Um, Like it was kind of like, I also had to like move out. Like I was like in, it was like rock bottom and this is recent. And I was like, I literally just remember crying being like, I'm not going to make it. Like I've failed. Like this is, this is all, this has been fun. Peace out. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then I was just like, no, no, like I am going to make it. I've been through worse. Like the resilience that I have learned from my life has definitely contributed to business in such a real way. And I think there's something to the thing I, I think it is. It's like, there's something to having fears, them happening and being okay. Mm. Like my biggest fear was to run out of money, having a business. My next biggest fear was my even bigger fear was to be in debt both those things happen. I'm like, okay, sick. Like I just was like, how am I going to do this? And I just got it done. Like I just, you know, got it done. And so after that time, I would say like the fact that it's, you know, the studio has been renovated, the bills have been paid, the clients have come back, the, you know, having a full-time employee, all these things have happened. I'm like, to think I was going to give up, Mm. you know? So every time you know, Chris and I have so much fun. Like we're doing headstands yesterday. I'm sorry. I'm not a regular boss. I'm a cool boss. And it's just, <laughs> it's fun. And like the clients, it's job satisfaction through the roof. But I think that's a great lesson that there's always a lot end of the tunnel. And that's something that I talk to my friends about is even in business, what you, 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 you were in the middle of the tunnel. It was dark. Very. But you came out the other end. Yeah. And I think there's this, as long as you keep pushing through and putting the effort in, I think there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. What scares you most about being more and more successful? I think I have a story that with success comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of hard work. And I'm finally at a place in my life where, like, I've always been ambitious. You know, big goals are my normal. And then you kind of reach a couple of them and you're like, so it's never been hard for me to do the work, but then I kind of reach goals and I'm like, I look back on the past six months, a year of my life and I'm like, okay, hello, social life. Where have you been? Uh, romantic partner, still not here. Well, yeah, you've not focused on anything other than this and it comes at a cost, yeah. you know, and that's that's been my truth because that's been my path. However, what I'm working with currently is like it gets to be different for the next trajectory. Like I can have what I want to know, like what I'm calling in is more success, less stress. Like that needs to be true for me to grow bigger, 
like better all the things and reach all the new goals I have. But if I'm honest, I fear missing out on life because of my ambition, because Mm. of my, because like there's so much in me. Like, you know, if you were to say to me, any of my clients were to say to me like, so if I want to do this, everything, everything in my body says we're making it happen. Right. Mm. That's, I'm pretty sure you said that to me too. <laughs> that's actually risky yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like, at what cost? Like my health, like I've been burnt out more times than I can count. I've, I've done the thing where I've just put everyone above me. And right now I know that like, yeah, that can't continue if I'm going to actually make the bigger impact. Like it's like give up the, the small win for the bigger win. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. So I think... Yeah, I guess like to get there, I know that A, I need to say no to things that I want to say yes to and B, like, yeah, I need to, I guess, redo it, like do it differently this time, like not lose everything for it. Yeah. How do people's perception of you impact your business? Uh, she's a marketing girl. I work with perception. That's my forte. And it's so funny because you, I truly believe that your biggest um, flaw is also your greatest super superpower. Like I, you know, whilst, you know, I've grown up my whole life protecting perception, working on self-image. It's no coincidence that I'm a great marketer because that's what I do. Like I can make this look good for you and I can make it look completely different for someone else. Target a different ad. It's all good. Like, mm. so it's funny because I actually attribute a lot of this and, you know, all of this like actually contributes to why I am good at what I do. But now I'm like, okay, the funny thing is, is like where I used to sit in terms of business, podcasting, marketing is like my biggest ambition has been always to make the most impact on people because of the greater picture and the positive impact being the goal, right? Now, after working, like actually showing up in business myself, like marketing myself and also working very closely with the likes of yourself, I'm like, it's actually less about the impact and more about the honest, true expression of that person. And the thing is, when you get that expression down pat, the impact happens naturally. So, yeah, I guess, like, that's where it plays out. It's like knowing this will make impact, but prioritizing the expression before the impact is, Mm. like, my tendency is to go for the image-based approach, but then I'm like, no, Mm. honesty, vulnerability. Yeah. And that's what I had a chat to with my few friends about was focus on the intentions rather than the outcomes. Yeah. Because if you focus on the outcomes and not so much on the intentions, you might not get the outcomes. But if you focus wholeheartedly on the intentions and everything's aligned, the outcome will take care of itself. So that's what it kind of feels like there. Totally. And that's been my truth. Like, I don't know how to sell. I don't make sales. Like, this has all been like truly just intention, like all of the, the like that intention being carried through. It, my success so far hasn't necessarily made sense. Like I couldn't pinpoint like that sales strategy or that. It's just been like I've been honest, I've been integrous, mm-hmm. and like it has just happened. Yeah. Do you ever go through periods where you feel like you're in a bit of a lull? If you feel unmotivated? Of course. Oh. How do you get through those times? Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, Bigger picture goal is how I get through that. So like, am I unmotivated sometimes to record an episode for my own podcast? All the goddamn time. Mm. Like always. I'm, I'm just like the, the task at hand, but the purpose behind it, like for example, my podcast is really about cutting through all the social media bullshit and actually this is how you create a brand 
with your content. I, I actually just want people to have the understanding to create good content because I don't want surface level content out there for us to consume. I want us to be consuming better because that will raise the consciousness of human beings and actually, you know, yeah, add, be value, yeah. add value. Mm-hmm. Like that is my goal with or without my business. I want everything. Like I want to actually bring value to the world. That's what keeps me going. So I think, yeah, you just need to like want it. You you need to desire the, the thing more than, you know, sleeping in or whatever that, yeah. the other alternative is. What's something that people don't know about you? Ooh, that's a good one. So much. Mm. What's one thing? You know what? I'm going to answer this in a in an interesting way, but I feel like there's some people in my life, like I've got a wide network, right? Mm. There'd be a section of people that think I'm quite serious and there'd be another section of people that don't think I could actually do anything serious in my life. I'm very like, I have so much silly and so much like, um, I guess seriousness. And it's like, I feel like one section of the world might just think <laughs> like she's very serious and ambitious and like yeah. driven and like she's yeah. going after what she wants. This other side has been like Sophie actually running a business. She's like cracks a joke more than she can. Like She's doing handstands in the office. Legit. As well. yeah. legit. So I think that, that I think one thing I know about myself and I don't know whether people know this about me, but I'm like extremely multidimensional. Like I can go out and party. I can, you know, hustle, like really hustle, build a business. Like mm. there are so many elements of my p- personality that um, I'm now accepting all of. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think people would be surprised to know. The different levels of you, I think. The different levels. Yeah. And they, the, the, I think I present, I'm very, like I'm a social chameleon. Mm. So I can c- go to coffee with you and like be what you need. <laughs> and I could go for coffee with someone else and like, you know, be what they need. And yeah. I think it's it's actually an ability that I love about myself because it makes me have connections. But I think what people probably don't realize is that like I'm all of it. Yeah. How have you defined success personally and with on track your business? So this is something I've actually looked at recently. Originally success to me was um, about, you know, I guess width, like people knowing about me, uh, sorry, the business, this is. So people knowing about on track, um, you know, clients coming easily, monetary gain, whatever it was. And it wasn't purely defined, but that was what I think I was chasing. Mm. Now success to me is about like having a business that supports the life I want to live. And that looks like very much present in every avenue of my life. Like when I'm here, I'm here. It's like work hard, play hard. Like I'm present when I'm at work, when I'm with clients, when I'm with like Christian, when I'm doing whatever it is, but then I'm equally, I'm not checking my phone when I'm with my friends and family. And that's really important to me. Yeah. So, and I also feel like there's that element of expression. Like it needs to be honest for me. I wouldn't, I would rather this fail than for me to just do something that I know will get me the money, the clients, the thing, and it doesn't feel good for me to do. Yeah. What would you want Sophie 10 years ago to know now? Oh, okay. What I'd want her to know is that she is going to have her heart broken more than she thought was possible. I'd want her to know that that's what's going to happen. What I'd want her to know about that is like you actually, one thing, a couple of phrases that have really stuck with me over my time is like you've actually got to see it to free it and you've got to feel it to heal it. Mm. So honor your timeline. Like when things go wrong, that is actually 
heartbreaking and you're allowed to feel that depth of like sadness and low, low energy, all the things don't make yourself wrong for doing that. But when you move on, don't make yourself wrong for moving on. When things come up, that is the time to process them. You know what I mean? And I think that's for anyone listening, like you've likely gone through something in your life and maybe you haven't fully processed it. That's normal. Like that's, that is normal. When you get that emotional hit, whether it's because you've been broken up with and you like, and you're crying, whether it's just, you've like run into something with your car and you just like, suddenly you've had all this emotion. That is your opportunity to actually release what's stored within you. And the sooner you do that, the easier life gets. Like you, you will be set free. Like you have to actually feel the emotion to heal it. So I've got one more little thing to share with you. I see another photo turned down over there. I'm nervous because this was cute, but what's that one? Since I'm not going to let you be the only one. Yes, baby so, Elliot. So I'll, I'll give it to you, but a little backstory. Uh, when I was growing up, probably in my teens, my mum would always say to me, be kind to yourself. I think she knew how much, um, how high the standards I'll give to myself, mm. unreachable standards. And when they weren't met, I would be very hard on myself, very hard on myself. And mum always, mum would always give me a hug and she'd say, just please be kind to yourself. And this is a photo. So whenever I feel like I'm being mean to myself or being too hard on myself or talking badly about myself, I think of this Elliot. Yeah. That's like be mean to him. I dare you. Yeah. So, so that's just helped me. And that's like my ultimate version of myself. I've got uh, matching shorts to the hat. Pink is my favorite color, if people are wondering. Um, And I'm just holding a rugby ball. So my question is to you is, would that girl there be proud of the woman that you are today? I thought you were going to say, would that girl there be friends with that guy? (laughs) Would they? Absolutely. I'm wearing pink. I've got pink. (laughs) Yes. Yes. A hundred percent she would be. I think, yeah, I, I have... Yeah, I would make young me so, so proud. And that's something I should definitely mm. sit with probably a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. You're familiar with the ending of the podcast. Who is it? Sister? Sister. Yeah. So we've got... For the, fir- for the person listening for the first time to your podcast, they've got no idea what this ending is. <laughs> <laughs> so the tr- ending tradition of this podcast is I get a loved one to send in a, a question. It could be a family member, a friend, someone can send in a question, it's something that they've always wanted to ask you or it's something they've always wanted to say to you. So, um, (laughs) your sister's quite funny. She is. She does take after me after all. Yeah. She (laughs) said that you guys tell her everything. Yeah. (laughs) So, it was hard to think of of a question. So, she hasn't got a question for you, but she wants you to know this. I think something that Sophie needs to hear is next time she feels like she's not doing a good job or or if it's all getting too much, there are literally hundreds of people who think the absolute world of her. Her energy, her creative brain, her humour, her work ethic is so highly regarded and she's killing it. Oh, uh. <laughs> Thanks, Em. And I've got a girl, I haven't met her before, Cleo. Oh, yeah, good one. I've got Cleo. She's got two questions for you. Oh, my God. If you had a day where you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? Ooh, anything? Anything. Probably pop over to the Greek islands. Yeah? Yeah, I think I would go somewhere tropical with people I love. Yeah, nice. Yeah. 
what's something that you want people to know about you? I think what I want people to know is that while I, and this is probably personal, not business, you know, the, the business people, you don't need to know this, but I think what I want people to know is that while I am okay and I do got this and that I can take on the world and I will, you know, do what it takes, I still would love support. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on, Sophie. It's been unreal. It has. Thanks. Thanks.